to Trek Companion. This is episode 232. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're discussing Voyager's sixth season episodes, Pathfinder, Fair Haven, and Blink of an Eye. Pathfinder, season six, episode 10, production code 230. Original air date, December 1st, 1999. Directed by Mike Viger, story by David Zabel, teleplay by David Zabel and Kenneth Biller, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Dwight Schultz as Reginald Barkley, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, Richard McGonagall as Pete Harkins, Richard Hurd as Admiral Owen Paris, Peter Bevine as Security Guard, and Mark Daniel Code as Technician. On Earth, Reginald Barkley is involved in the Pathfinder Project an effort to communicate with USS Voyager, stranded in the Delta Quadrant. Barclay soon becomes obsessed. He loses himself in the reality of a holographic Voyager created for the project. Enjoying the false friendships within, he seeks help from an old shipmate, Counselor Deanna Troy, who advises him to forge real relationships and stop straying into the hollow program he has created of the Voyager ship and crew. Did you talk to Commander Hawkins after the meeting, apologize? Well, no. I wanted to uh, fine-tune my plan, so I uh, just went right back to work. Be more specific. What exactly did you do? Well, I needed someone to uh, bounce ideas off of. Someone to help focus my thoughts. Sounds reasonable. I suppose you consulted with some of your Pathfinder colleagues? Well, not exactly. You went back to the holodeck, didn't you? They're the only people that I can talk to. This is going to be a good <laughs> discussion. I enjoy all three episodes we're talking about today. Woohoo! Yeah, it was a treat. They were all really yeah. good. Apps. They were. And in particular, I'm going to, I, I love the last one so much. Uh, but I, I like all three of these, including Pathfinder. I mean, if you wanted to be picky, you could say, hey, these aren't our Voyager characters. But it's not like they're trying to end the entire series with this episode. So I'm okay with that. Uh, and our Voyager characters certainly make an appearance. It's just a little ways into it. And it's not like it, and it's not like it's a strange character that we don't know. Right. And it's not even... It, Barclay's literally been on Voyager before, too, right? Uh, or, well, a projection version of him. Anyway, if he was featured, like fully featured, yeah. right? Um, in, a, in a very good episode. I just love the character, and I love the way Dwight plays him. And, of course, it's great to see Marina. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this one, and I'm going to enjoy talking about it. So what do you think, Adam? Um, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I, I enjoyed this episode as well. Um, and, you know, we've, you know I know we've, we've made this argument many times over the years that usually when an episode isn't focused on you're one of your main characters. It's it's usually not good. Um, I will say this. I, I think Voyager has kind of pulled it off more than other series doing this. I don't know why, because I, I think there's a few episodes in Voyager that have pulled this off, and this is one in particular. But at the same time, I don't feel like Reginald Barkley is a stranger. He's not like a new character that's being introduced. He's not a you know, a hologram or something that's just new and introduced. We've, we've had, um, we had like two or three, you know, Bark Barkley centric episodes and um, next gen. So it's, he, you know, he's been in the movie, so he's, you know, he's a B character of course, but he's a fully developed B character. So um, 
it didn't feel weird that this whole episode was basically about him um, and what he was going through. It wasn't necessarily new as opposed to what happened to him in Next Gen. But in this circumstance, it, it turned out to be a positive because he was, you know, he was obsessed with communicating with Voyager, trying to get in contact with them. And the, you know, the obsession and his um, prior illness kind of coalesced and it, it helped him do what he needed to do. And then obviously, you know, you had Deanna Troy there to kind of help ground him and um, guide him, um, you know, because, you know, they're their family from the enterprise basically. So yeah, I, I totally enjoyed this. Um, it's fun kind of seeing what um, Starfleet kind of sees Voyager as, you know, all the, you know, the Maquis are dressed in their Maquis uniforms. So that's Yeah, fun. I love that. And it, and it's totally Barkley, you know, I mean, especially for next gen, you know, all the characters are kind of fawning over him. This is exactly what happened in next gen. So it was kind of, kind of fun to reminisce because I, I think, this is a very beloved character for me, and I'm sure it is for um, most people who love um, these series. But, you know, th- there are so many connections to uh, Voyager. Just off the top of my head, you've got uh, Admiral Paris. Yeah, we're spending time away, but Paris is his dad. We've been hearing about our Paris's father for years, and his relationship with his father so was so defined him, even if it was just the way he rebelled against all of that to end up as a McKee, it's a completely relevant uh, thing. You know, it's not, it's not our left field. You know, it feels like, it feels like kind of an extension, right, of our people. Uh, Steve, your, your thoughts here? Yeah, I remember um, back when this aired, it was just a, a huge treat to kind of like see, because you know, we're in the context of, you know, in the midst of the next gen movies, you know, um, we've been not too long after, or about a year after like insurrection and so on. And so, it, it brought it all kind of together still, you know, it's like at this, the universe all there, you know, when you see Troy and then of course, Barkley, who we'd just seen in first contact as well. And um, I, I think the reason this kind of works, um, even though it's so apart from our Voyager characters for the bulk of the episode is that, I mean, we've talked about this already. You guys have spoken of it. It was, yeah, the, the Barkley is such a, you know, everyone's fond of Barkley and, and it's also at this point in, in, in the context of kind of the Trek history, most of the people who are watching Voyager, you know, we all know the history here of the ratings going down and it wasn't like, this is the peak of popularity. It it started going down, but these were people that were fond of all the series, you know, they were in the midst of that, you know, next gen DS9 Voyager, you know, kind of thing. And so it, it, not like it's one big show, but you know, everyone knows most people who would have cared would have known these characters. And also because, you know, the, the ship itself and the crew in a sense were the feature because in a, in a way this episode like brings them into um, the larger universe in a way, because then it's kind of like, okay, we know they're out there and alive. And it's kind of like, let's bring them in with the, the rest of it, not just a total separate thing. And I think that that's also helps it helps it work kind of. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you look at, you know, Deep Space Nine, they were able to bring O'Brien in and that kind of coalesced um, Deep Space Nine into the um, next gen universe. It kind of was a, a transitional character. And obviously it's it's harder to do that in Voyager. So, yeah, I definitely take your point, Stephen, that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it connects it connects Voyager to everything else. It's It's almost a silly comment, but I have to remind myself all the scenes that are on the holodeck, you know, I mean, that's not really the Voyager crew. But it is the actors. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 
Um, it's not like they're only really <laughs> in the episode for a few minutes. But it isn't it so satisfying that moment at the end when they actually get whatever that is, like a minute of communication and what he says to them and what she says. It, it's it's so it's so just entirely satisfying for them to finally mm-hmm. make that connection, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, for Admiral Paris to get to speak and Janeway to tell him that Tom heard what he said. In, in, in its way, it's almost more satisfying than when they actually get home. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It, it, you know, oh, yeah. it's like this is so big and feels so, oh, it's emotional. Here we are, the connection, you know, all that. So, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that last episode eventually. <laughs> What's this episode about? Well, with Barkley, it's, um, you know, it's about finding confidence in yourself to to stand up for yourself. There's those themes with Barkley. You know, he's a brilliant guy with um, brilliant ideas, but he's so um, enclosed in his own in his own self that it, it stops him from um, achieving, you know, his, his true potential, you know. And, you know, we got the bulk of that character, like, in Next Generation, you know, that kind of thing. And these are kind of the same themes, but with a different kind of twist because it's not – truly Barkley wanting to escape it's him wanting to help um voyager whereas you know in next gen it was just him trying to hide as 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 much as he possibly could so um in a way we get to see the evolution of Barkley and where he started and where he's come to today and you know we're going to get to see him more in um the next season and a half of voyager so it'll be that'll be fun so but you know finding yourself and having the confidence to do what you need to do and i think Barkley from Next Gen wouldn't have been able to make the decision that Barkley did in this episode, like you know, going off on his on his own, breaking into the um, the lab and 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 doing what he thought was right to, to help Voyager. Yeah, I was just thinking that like it's so true to Barkley this episode and the writers. If if you watched a bunch of Barkley episodes from his first appearance on Next Gen up to now, you really would see him progress as a character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this yeah. is this really is a solid service for him uh steve what do you think it's about yeah no i i agree with all that's been said i think it's it's that notion of uh, a um you know just despite adversity and despite doubt you know especially you know in, in barclay's case he has a whole lot of history there where he could just kind of say you know what it's just here i am and I'm, I'm just not fitting with this and i need to you know he but he just he perseveres he keeps at it and he can gets done what he needs to get done. He believes in himself and believes in the cause and, and pushes through. And I think that's kind of a message. And I think that this character of Barkley, I think the why it might be so beloved is because I think oftentimes end of, you know, not, not always, but people that are attracted to a, a show like this, you know, in the fandom of it all and so forth might not be people that, uh, can relate so much to the mainstream, you know, and, and, and so I think Barkley, you know, obviously doesn't, um, relate to the mainstream. He's in his, he's his own world. He has his own way and doesn't kind of get along with all the other, uh, social norms and so on. And so I think that's why he's such a relatable character for so many fans of the show. And, and in this episode, he, he kind of hits his peak, you know, where he does something, does something big despite all the doubts in him. So, I mean, I wanted um, something popped in my head, you know, and this this episode, it also kind of has a family theme. We didn't talk about um, Deanna too much, but this episode doesn't work without her because it's it's Barkley who, you know, he 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 leans on Deanna, which he didn't have, you know, back when this character was first introduced. Mm-hmm. And Deanna 
stayed for him. She's like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to help you. So there's that family element, you know, where she was like, you know, you're, you're our family. You're a part of our family. You, you know, they care about each other. And, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that gel these, um, these Star Trek series together. You know, you feel that the crew, each crew is a family and, you know, we got a little bit of, of you know, next gen family there that overlaps into to Voyager's family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine what this episode would have been without her? How would they have even <laughs> done it? It, it wouldn't work, right? All right. Yeah. No, I don't think so. All right. Let's do six degrees for Pathfinder. Adam, are you going first or second? I suppose I'll go first. Richard Hurd plays Admiral Paris, the admiral that decides he can maybe sort of trust Barkley. He played the Klingon Lacor in the Next Gen's sixth season two-parter, where Worf finds Klingons in a Romulan prison camp. Name the episode. You know, we've been doing this podcast so long, almost a decade, that I'm not only have I like re-asked like the same questions, I've asked the same question like multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I probably got like years probably in between. I probably gotten multiple questions wrong multiple times. Um, well, as I've always said, like I ask episode names usually when I think there's something interesting about the name or there's something memorable about it in some way. Uh, I'm not the um, walking episode name encyclopedia like I think Steve is, mm. but certain ones just stick with me, like this one. I can't remember the name of the episode. There are too many of the Klingon episodes are popping into my head, and I know they're not the right ones. Go ahead, Steve. It's yours. Well, I'm not 100% sure. I, I remember a title, but it might, I might be mixing up episodes. Is it a Rightful Error? No. Oh, okay. Birthright. Oh, okay. Birthright, and there's parts one and two. There's gotcha. like a mid-season two-parter. Ah. Although really, two, so the part two was totally different. Part, part two was entirely in the Romulan prison camp, and part one was... A little different, but anyway, uh, Steve Richard Hurd also guest starred on what '80s show that Michael Piller produced that starred James Parker and Joe McCraney. Oh Lord! One of Brian's favorite shows. I have a mouse pad with their picture on it. Oh, is it uh, Simon and Simon? Is that yes, yeah, Simon and Simon? Oh, Hey, if you're a Star Trek fan, you should know Simon and Simon. It's Michael Piller. It's the reason he got Star Trek. It's because it's so good, and he was so great running it. Save that show. Cool, yeah, I'll binge awesome. it. Hmm? Cool, I'll binge it. Next chance I get. Really? Uh, see, I, for a second, I thought you were kidding, but I can tell you're totally, uh, serious. So, all right. Um, where are you going to find the time with Disney and Apple coming out in a few weeks? See, that's how they could get me. That could differentiate their service. If one of them got Simon and Simon. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> uh, Steve has one. Moving on. Fairhaven, Season 6, Episode 11, Production Code 231. Original air date, January 12th, 2000. Directed by Alan Croker. Written by Robin Berger. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Fenton McCown as Michael Sullivan. Richard Ryle as Seamus Driscoll. Henriette Ivanis as Maggie O'Halloran. Duffy McIntyre as Grace. And Jan Clare as Franny Sullivan. Tom Paris has written a popular new holodeck program about an Irish village called Fairhaven. Captain Janeway enters the program, and while she is taking a tour, the crew is alerted to an approaching storm front. 
The storm prevents Voyager from going to warp, and Impulse Power won't be enough to outrun the storm. Janeway decides to batten down the hatches, drop the anchor, and ride out the storm. During this downtime, many of the crew stop to visit the characters in Fairhaven. Some even take roles in the village. The Doctor becomes the town priest and admonishes Parison and Kim for not attending Sunday Mass. Are you sure you didn't uh, misinterpret her interests? I mean, we're all friends here. Maybe she was just being friendly. You calling me a liar? No, 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 not at all. I thought Katie and me were in love. I may have to do some reprogramming. And what's the matter? You don't think I'm good enough for her? No, I, I didn't say that. Fairhaven, I know what it is that I love so much about this episode. There is a little bit, just a smidge of drama. The ship is in this storm, you know, but there's never like, oh no, we're not going to make it. Not really. You know, it's just lousy mm-hmm. that they're stuck in this storm or whatever. So for the most part, this is what we don't really get out of Voyager, that we got a lot out of DS9 and is a lot more modern television, where it's just a character thing. Mm-hmm. This is just a character piece. Uh, we have Janeway have a romantic, a flat-out romantic relationship. She says, I'm romantically involved with a hologram. <laughs> so it's really just our characters living their lives, and it's uh, really enjoyable and, and feels, you know, some of the times we've talked about some of the formats some of the, like the storytelling in some of Voyager can feel a little dated, but this is a perfect example of something that does not feel dated. It feels entirely contemporary. If they were making Star Trek right now, if they were making Voyager today, they could have done this episode. Mm-hmm. So it really holds up well, and I enjoy it. Steve, what are your first thoughts here on Fairhaven? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting um, how it's one of these you you really get some insight into. Uh, what makes Janeway tick and, and some of these kind of things that, you know, th- th- this, this could have gone really South, you know, and this could have been really trite and dumb. I mean, if they would have made the, the plight outside the ship, something real and tried to make it extravagant and tied it in too much and have been, you know, convoluted, that would have been dumb. And if they would have uh, brought, you know, piped up the melodrama more and they would have made it, cliched you know you know there's all sorts of ways this could have been bad you know um but instead you get um some insight into you know what what is Janeway looking for what are the problems she faces as the captain the unique problems you have on a ship not only as a captain on a ship but a ship that's isolated you know you don't have anyone else and this situation where um you know her starting to doubt herself and to almost almost like challenge herself in a way in terms of relationships where yeah you can um you know obviously anybody could just jump into a holodeck and make a quote-unquote perfect person or perfect situation and just escape or whatever but that's not that's not enough for her you know she in, in fact challenges herself and doubts herself to do more and so you you get all this kind of thing and you get all and also the interaction of the rest of the crew with the uh you know, this kind this environment and so on. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, it's very different. And like you said, Brian, it's, um, it's a a more, um, contemporary telling of a story. Adam. Yeah, I definitely agreed with what's been said so far. It's an interesting look at Captain Catherine Janeway. You know, it's interesting in a lot of ways, you know, you know, when you had Ricard first come on the next gen, you know, people, a lot of people made the comparison, Ricard and Kirk, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of comparison between Cisco and any other captains. 
Um, but I kind of felt like if there was a, a captain, any captain that was similar to Captain Kirk, it was Janeway. Because, um, you know, Janeway was, was bold like Kirk, um, aggressive in her decision making. She went by her, she goes by her gut a lot of the times. And she, ta- she takes risks um, a lot like Kirk. So in captain style, I always found Janeway to be a lot more similar to Kirk than any other of the captains. But on the flip side of that, she's very... Um, they they've made the character very reserved in her sexuality. I mean, you know, first off, when she came, when the, the season started, she had a um, fiance or longtime boyfriend that she was really kind of committed to for the at least the first couple of seasons of Voyager, where that's that was her relationship was this you know getting back to my my love, and um you know they kind of hinted here and there at different things, and so I guess this was a creative way to kind of have a romantic episode with her. And it's, I think we'd gotten to the point in star Trek where everybody was comfortable enough with hologram with a hologram playing this role. You know, we obviously have a a main character on Voyager, the doctor who is a fully defined, fully functional, same character as anybody else on the show. So I think in that way, it kind of made it um, acceptable for the audience, us to kind of accept that Janeway could have, um, an emotional connection um, to a holodeck character. Uh, there were a couple of things that made me laugh that I got to point out. <laughs> yeah, there's some amusing stuff for sure. One, every time I've ever seen it, when she says delete the wife, <laughs> it's her tone, but the line, the line is funny. I'm positive that line was supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But her tone makes it super funny. And then I don't think it's supposed to be funny. In fact, I, so it, just as much as I'm sure that delete the white is the wife is supposed to be funny. The following line, I don't think it's supposed to be funny, but it makes me laugh. She says, she's talking about, no, I can't remember his name, the bartender. And she says, he's got every trait that, uh, you know, that I'm, that I love. He, he's, he's attractive. He's the, he's in Chris. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you just, <laughs> here's the list of things that I like to have that I'm, that I'm looking for. Attractive. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so like, <laughs> I don't like the ugly people. I really like the hot people, but that's just a, you know, that's just me. Some people like ugly people and, and, you know, don't like hot people. Right. But for me, right. I, he's got to be hot. <laughs> this what it sounds like every time. <laughs> I, I like it when she's talking to to Chakotay and and uh, basically she's saying, well, you know, he's a hologram or whatever. And Chakotay says, I never let that stand in my way. And it makes it sound like he's like constantly cavorting on the holodeck, you know, like, well, I never let that stand in my way, you know, like, like he, he's picturing him holding off to the holodeck, <laughs> doing his thing daily or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. There's a little bit more, there's a lot of sexuality in this episode and it's pertaining to the holodeck. And, you know, we've had that before in Voyager. I think the doctor, what, what was the Vulcan's name that he had to do, go through the, you know, to get through his palm far. We had that episode and you know, he's the holodeck. So there's been um, a little more sexuality on the holodeck in Voyager. And that kind of definitely came out um, in this episode. I caught that too. Steve, that um, <laughs> and it was the look. It was it wasn't necessarily what he said, but it was also the look in his eyes, like yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> this episode kind of reminds me of why Star Trek is so expensive. <laughs> so you've got normally they don't spend a lot of time outside because uh, it's more expensive to shoot outside. Which incidentally was fun seeing because I just went to. I took my son to Universal Studios recently. We always do a little tram tour. And the tram tour goes right through Little Europe, which is 
so obviously where they shot this. <laughs> and I've been through, I've been on that tram tour a million times, but it, it, it was just funny because I was just there like a week ago. I'm like, oh, I was literally right there. I'm watching it and I'm thinking, they obviously spent more time shooting outside than usual in this episode. Why did they have, it felt like maybe they had a little more money. And I started thinking, maybe it's because they didn't have to like, you know, create uh, costumes and creatures and all these things out of thin air and props like they usually do when they're science fiction hundreds of years away in the uh, Delta Quadrant. This episode is just existing costumes that they, I'm sure they just rented, right? Seeing this episode and thinking this was probably, you know, a little bit cheaper than usual. Maybe they, they were able to spend a little more money on actors, have more cast because they didn't have to create so much stuff like they usually and build so many things things like they usually have to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's just what Star Trek normally is. So Brian, hopefully I'm not ruining one of your questions. How many um how often do we get Fairhaven? There there there's at least one more Fairhaven. I might have a Centric. question along these lines, so Centric. I'll refrain from Centric. answering that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's one more time. Uh and most of the a lot of these actors come back. The other thing this episode made me think about was we've probably talked about something like this before, but um Something like a holodeck really would be just vital on, you know, elongated deep space mission, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so it's interesting to see them use the holodeck in this episode sort of for the first time in that way. I get, you know, just the idea right. that they, they turned it on and, and kept it running as a nonstop thing. You could just walk in there and go to this other place and not, it wouldn't, feel so much like you're running a program i don't know and they, and they also the first time i think they make a reference to expanding it into another holodeck which kind of implies something we never touch on is that there are limits you know what i mean i mean obviously the way it works and how it moves people around and does what it does there still would be a physical limitation and that is you can only fit so many people in a room you know and yeah so, so once you've got more once you've got enough actual real live Forge or crew members mm-hmm. in there, you can't be changing it up around, oh, I'm walking out of the bar into this other area. You know, there's only so much of that you could do. Yeah. Yeah. But also it kind of implies that it must be physically near. So that aren't they going to walk, knock down a wall or something? <laughs> yeah. What's up with that? It's always amazed me, you know, they never touched on this. I think the closest that, that touched on this for the holodecks was um, Quartz Bar because, you know, he rented them out and, you know, people would like, have to sign up for them it always it all it always pops into my head especially in voyager you know they just anytime they went oh let's just go to the holodeck and it's empty so what there are 150 people on the ship i would think that the the holodecks would be in use 24 7 seven days a week on that ship yep <laughs> but it's well like, we yeah. know we know chicote keeps it running yeah, yeah. keeps it running warm <laughs> What is this episode about? Well, I was thinking about, like, I'm just saying, I was thinking about, I guess, my favorite scene in the episode. And it was um, when Janeway and the doctor were walking down the hall. And, um, you know, she's going through her whole, you know, you can kind of tell she's kind of just, just she's kind of working out, out in her head. And she's kind of justifying this whole relationship in her head. And uh, um, to the point that she doesn't realize that she's being insulting to the doctor. She's like, man, what, I, I'm... I'm involved, emotionally involved with a hologram. How could that be? You know, and obviously she's talking to a hologram who she's emotionally involved with as the doctor character is right there. So I guess it's for me, like this episode is kind of being learning to be 
comfortable with yourself and okay with yourself to be in a a relationship that might not be socially acceptable or it might be weird to other people. And I guess I could expand out into other things beyond relationships. It's just about um, what's, what, what feels right to you. It shouldn't matter how it looks outside because a lot of, through a lot of this episode, you kind of, you saw the reservedness of Janeway's, but you know, we were talking about Chakotay and his um, um, holodeck as, Escapades, but I mean, you know, he he kind of embarrassed her, and you kind of see that reserve thing, and you know, and as the episode gradually went along, she opened up and she she felt comfortable doing this, and I guess it's the kind of the journey that we all kind of take more in a longer path. Well, you know, the doctor says something to her in that walk and talk scene. I, I like that scene a lot too, by the way. But the doctor says something to her about you can't really have a relationship with anybody on the sh- with any crew members because they're your subordinates. Um, so this really is not a bad idea for you. What did he, he also said, what, what are you going to pick somebody up at every port we stop at or something? <laughs> that insinuation. But it, but it, but it almost felt like a little, like taking that to the next level. You also think she doesn't even really have anybody on the ship. She can talk to. It felt, it felt odd for her to have this scene with the doctor, like talking about her personal. I mean, she put, she, obviously even then has mm-hmm. some serious limits. She's like, I'm not telling you whether or not I have sex with him, yeah. which, hey, to us sounds like the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But just seeing that scene, it almost felt sad because you're know, like, yeah, she doesn't even, even this is like really weird and unusual for her to, to have this kind of conversation with somebody on the ship. And maybe she feels a little bit more okay with it being the doctor. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, Steve, I think I cut you off before you said no no it's cool Uh, yeah i agree with all that's been said and i also think it's kind of one of those deals where although it's a you know it's a fiction it's a holographic character it's not like she's planning some kind of relationship that could develop into some something much bigger but you know like i said kind of earlier on she it's like she's challenging herself to it and it's one it reminds me kind of one of those cliches about relationships is something about not finding the perfect partner but being the perfect partner or something like that you know like where it's almost this kind of uh, this this uh, journey this challenge to you know and obviously a balancing act you can't you know obviously you're not gonna someone's completely incompatible but you know this idea of she challenges herself to you know what maybe maybe i see if i can i can do something else here you know to 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 change this, make it work, whatever, you know? So I think there's kind of that, that message too. And that's what kind of gives a little bit of insight into what makes Janeway tick and, and something we haven't really seen beyond the, the kind of superfluous, you know, things she's talked about with, with this Mark person back home and all that. So. All right, let's do six degrees for Fairhaven. Steve has one. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. All right. You get today's hard question. Yay. Richard Riley plays Seamus, the guy that just needs a little money to get back in his wife's good graces. Name his character from Next Gen's Inner Light. Oh, jeez. He played his buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like it's in my tongue or something. I've watched that enough where I can... There's one moment where his wife very clearly says it because she, she's telling him to go home. And she says his name. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it like? Oh God! I, I might not get this right. Quite right. Uh, Batai. You got it. Batai. Yes. yes. <laughs> very good. Well, very good. Adam. Many of the actors slash characters in this episode will return in the Voyager episode. Spirit folk. Is that this season or next season? 
I'm going to say next season. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, done. Uh, this season. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Steve steals. Uh, <laughs> Steve has two. Moving on. Uh, Brian, I didn't jump to the right conclusion. Right. Oh, oh there, there's an obscure. There you go. Yeah. All right. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, man. I need to watch that movie. Blink of an Eye, Season 6, Episode 12, Production Code 233, Original Air Date, January 19th, 2000, Directed by Gabriel Beaumont, Story by Michael Taylor, Teleplay by Scott Miller and Joe Minoski, Music Composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Melik Malkison as Shaman, Walter McCready as Tribal Alien, Obi Nefedo as Kelamane, Olaf Popley as Cleric, Daniel Zocapa as Astronomer, John Cellini as Technician, Daniel Day Kim as Gotana Retz, Kat Sawyer Young as Tarina, and Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman. Voyager approaches an alien world which is enveloped in a tachyon field, giving it an odd temporal nature. In an effort to learn more about the planet, Janeway orders the ship to move closer, but Voyager becomes trapped in orbit by the, plan- by the planet's magnetic field. While the crew conducts an escape plan, Seven and Nine surveys the planet and discovers that Voyager's presence is causing periodic seismic quakes. Further scans reveal that time passes at a much more rapid rate on the planet, and for the moment is inhabited by a primitive humanoid race. Now, I don't believe for a moment that the stars are gods, but then, what are they? A great mystery to which there is no answer. I believe the sky is full of people, just like ourselves. <laughs> oh, nonsense. Prove me wrong. I say each star encompasses a city, and the ground shaker rules one of these cities. Man, I love this episode. I, it's It's so great. I think it's probably my second maybe third favorite episode of voyager uh it's so it's so good i've loved it every time i've ever seen it and it completely holds up for me it does such an incredible job of giving insight into this civilization and and i guess by extension any kind of civilization's progression or something but but it's still really about our voyager crew um i guess daniel a kim has a pretty significant role, but he still feels like a guest star, right? It's just so good. I, I love this episode. Steve, what are, you, what are your first thoughts here? Yeah, I, I like this a lot as well, this episode. Um, it's one of those that, again, it could have it could have fallen into this kind of pattern of being a cool sci-fi concept, and that's about it, you know, if they didn't handle it right. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's you really get the vibe from everyone that they i think they understand the gravity of the situation and it's a lot to you know fit into you know 40 some minutes you know what's going on here i mean you you see uh, this you know anthropological study this you know evolution of a, of a society over thousands of years or whatever it is you know and and it's it's really it's really the ultimate uh prime directive violation in a way, you know, and obviously it's kind of out of their control, but there they go in there and they do it. They basically shape a civilization from, you know, cavemen times all the way through space travel. Um, And I think they understand the gravity of it, although I'm not sure anyone could really totally, you know, understand that or feel it, you know, in those, in those moments. But um, it also, you know, there's, there's a story to tell. There's um, how do we, how do we make this as right as we possibly can, given the situation we're in? And, it, you know, it tells us something about, 
about the crew and and then you know they throw in all these little fun tidbits too the uh the doctor and his you know adventure with from for his uh from his perspective went on you know years or whatever it was and uh i mean there's a there's a lot they fit in this and usually that doesn't work and so it's commendable they they packed all this in and told those kind of stories in the time allotted it's almost like this entire civilization it's an emotional story about them somehow because of the way that voyager has interacted with them and, and voyager feels bad about it all the crew they don't they don't want this to be the case but yeah it's it's so it's really unique too uh, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i suppose you could have done this episode on another star trek series so it's not it's not necessarily unique um uniquely voyager but just as an episode i don't think there's anything any other episode of star trek like it you know right right uh adam your your first thoughts here um yeah i've agreed with um virtually everything that's been said um yeah we've there um, i i agree with you it's unique it's a unique episode but it's um it gives you that feeling of um past episodes like um that are next gen tapestry episodes kind of that that rich warm that rich feeling and this is such a totally we were talking about us being nerds in the last um segment but i mean this is such a nerdy sci-fi concept where you have it you see a civilization grow in you know in the matter of minutes from you know caveman all the way up to you know warp drive capabilities um all at the same time where voyagers is standing still it's a it's a very sci-fi science fiction concept um and um the brilliance that they were able to do in this episode is like you know because it's not like they just had they could follow one character on this planet I mean, they had to do it, they had to do it over periods of centuries and years. And, um, you know, they didn't try to get too crazy and make this, make this world like alien. They, they did things that were relatable to any person that enjoys sci-fi. You know, you have, you have the, um, you start off obviously with the religious aspects. These are gods and we have to make sacrifices. You know, you can kind of relate to that with anthropology and that kind of thing. And then it moves up to like, Oh, you know, we're going to be more logical and scientific. We're going to send a letter. So you, you kind of learn and grow with the civilization and that's the civilization is the character, which is unique. I think it's, it's not an individual. I mean, we get the, um, we get the pilot there towards the last half of the episode where he's kind of, the representative that we kind of cling towards towards the end, but I don't feel like there's, I feel like the civilization is the whole character because we, we travel across these um, millennia with this civilization and you have a deep caring for them as such as Voyager does towards the end of the episode. Yeah, totally. You care for them. And I mean, right down to just, I, I love that moment when the Daniel Day Kim and the other one, uh, the, the astronauts kind of arrive at first, you're not like you're not entirely sure what's going on, and then you quickly realize, oh, oh, okay. Once we see the Voyager crew not really moving, and then they're kind of, you know, investigating the ship, and they're like, but if they're in stasis, why do they look like they're going about their business? I don't know. It's just so, uh, it's great. And then, of course, suddenly they transition to our time. I even like it. I mean, it's, a, it's a, almost a throwaway thing, but I think it's Chakotay and Torres. Maybe when they see, oh, look, they're, they're Buildings have a lot more iron than you know usual, oh, because of the earthquakes and their entire civilization is you know just built around the way we've disrupted it. It's just and it and it moves like you said, Steve. There's there's so much going on that normally it would it would collapse under its own weight, this kind of thing. But it doesn't here. It it totally works. It moves. 
it's so it's so dense uh, and it moves so quickly. Endless replay value this episode. It's it never gets old. There's never a moment when I want to hurry through it. It's just it's pretty great. It's so great. And like Steve said earlier, I mean, in a weird way, it is actually a. It's this episode has a lot of themes, but in that weird way, it is a prime directive episode. You know, we you know for hundreds of episodes of other series, you know, we've heard the dangers of the prime directive. You know, we've even seen episodes where we kind of see the the tiny effects of it, but you kind of see it on a grand scale here from start to finish. Um, what kind of impact just even just even the sighting of Voyager has on the civilization. I mean, you know, the kind of the, you know, kind of the closest thing to that would have been um, JJ's um, second movie when the Enterprise is seen by that those primitive people and they start drawing pictures of the Enterprise. You know, you kind of get to see what might become of that civilization just from from this episode, just by seeing um, the ship in the sky. So an episode that is never going to get old. And, and it's weird, and I kind of even like that they kind of they're kind of vague. With the doctor and his experiences on the planet, I mean, they even have that little kind of quick scene where um, the doctor is asking about a son. I mean, I, you know, it's so I, I even I'm even, I'm even fine with that. Like, you know, this is an episode where you would like to see kind of like if it's done today, it's probably drawn out into four or five episodes. But I mean, just that whole like the doctor story there could have been a whole another episode. But I actually kind of, you know, normally I would be kind of disappointed, be like, oh, I kind of wanted to see what would happen there. But I'm, I'm actually not because it gives a little bit of depth and mystery to the doctor. Well, I mean, and, and in a way, this is a really good way to tr- to at least wrap your head around how, you know, the relative extremes of time, you know, a little bit, you know, because you, I mean, I, they do a good job of also of just like getting that vibe of, you understand that the crew's up there for a matter of hours, days, whatever it ends up being. And then the rest of it's going on for thousands of years and you totally buy it. I mean, it's not like you're just total. you know, you don't, I mean, on one hand it's, you understand it, but it's also, you feel it too, you know I mean? And I think it's, it's the little things they do like, you know, the Chakotay's throwaway line toward the end of uh, in a couple hours, we'll be ready to do this. And then they go down to the planet and there's, the Daniel Day Kim character and he's old guy now, you know, and oh, a couple hours, there it is. I mean, you know, they kind of like, they, they do it in little, they do it in micro ways and in macro ways, this whole time relativity thing. And it also helps you, you know, a little bit realize the, the vast, you know, extremes of the relative time things. How, for example, we are just everything that we know and are about here is just this teeny little speck of nothing in the grand scheme and stuff like that. Yeah. And you're right. Just how time is, is relative and perception. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's some trees out in California. Hopefully they're still standing brand and haven't burned it. They've been standing for hundreds and hundreds of years, but, it, but for the tree, it's probably just like normal. I mean, or you even think about planets, you know, our planet's supposed to, you know, like four or 5 billion years old. I mean, you know, that's, it's inconceivable. I mean, we understand that number, but it's also inconceivable that number to us. But I mean, it's just time, and it's relative to your mm-hmm. position in it. I mean, you know, is a does a bug who only lives a couple days? Is how do they experience time? It's um, it's it's that's why you know time's always used in science fiction because it's a fascinating topic. Yeah, and that, that, that I think is the, the one of the big achievements of this episode is that you do feel it a bit, at least a bit, you know, and that's what's the big challenge is we can wrap our heads around it, we can have numbers and compute it and all this kind of stuff, but we rarely feel that difference, you know, a little bit. Sure. At least we get a little bit of that in this episode. What's this episode about? Evolution? <laughs> in the grand scheme of things? I guess it's, um, you know, 
in a weird way, it's just kind of how like a small thing like Voyager just entering orbit into a planet can have a far lasting impact. So it's, you know, kind of for me, it's just because it's a little thing doesn't mean it can, can't have a big impact or, you know, vice versa on somebody or society or that kind of thing. So it's in Voyager's case in this episode, it's an unintended consequence, but, you know, just this little thing that they do, you know, fulfilling their mission, you know, to explore um, the galaxy kind of ends up affecting, you know, millions and, you know, over the course of the time that they were there, you know, probably billions and billions of life forms on this planet were affected by just that one little thing that Voyager did. And, and obviously in this episode, it, it, it turned out to be kind of a, a positive, but I mean, you know, the, the other can be true as well. Um, and so there's there are grand themes in this episode, but they were also able to kind of um, humanize it in smaller ways, like Steve was saying. It's like, you know, they you have these little these little episodes with with characters on the planet where you can you can relate to them. You have um, the doctor where he goes through this thing, even though you don't get to see or know much about that. You can you can relate to what he did just based on what on what he said. So those are kind of the. You know, it's had grand themes and kind of small themes, and it, they they worked it all really well together. And it was a an excellent writing, directing, you know, cast, acting, all all around performance. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, when we talk about pers- you know perspective and the relative perspective of these things, and how you know, or you know, things depending on your perspective, it things matter so little. I mean, you have. You have this accident, Voyager's little accident going to the atmosphere, you know, shaped a civilization, literally, you know, the entire civilization. Um, and then the, the 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 main character from the other civilization, played by Daniel Day Kim, he basically, you know, he, by the time he was on the ship, by the time he was ready to go down there and maybe you know, say, okay, I'm going to, I'll help, you know, I'll, I'll do something. I'll tell him, you know, his family's all gone. No one he knows is alive anymore and all this kind of thing. Yet he's, um, I'm going to do something important for the grant in the grand scheme of things, you know, and this kind of thing. So it, all those ideas make it very heavy, you know, it's a weighted kind of thing. And I think that helps, you know, but, but it's, but it's, yeah, remarkable, the balancing act they did to make that work in this episode, because it's, um, it's not just a trick. Like you have these concepts in an episode and that, that makes it relevant. You know, you have to, you know, weigh them down and make it, you know, balance it out and make it work in that way. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good. And it raises some really interesting um, themes that we don't see in other episodes. Let's do six degrees for blink of an eye. I believe Steve has two. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, let's get it. I'll go first. Daniel Day Kim plays Gotana Retz, the astronaut that really helps out Voyager. He also played Corporal Chang in three episodes of Star Trek Enterprise. Chang was a Mako. I have definitely asked this question before. What does Mako stand for? Mako. Military. Yes. (laughs) Um, Assistance. No. (laughs) Military. Um, Affordability. No. John Carpenter. (laughs) Precinct 13. Precinct 13. I think I only saw that once. All right, go ahead and take it, Steve. I can sit here and guess for another 30 minutes and probably wouldn't get it. I don't remember. Um, It's something like, I don't know, I'm just going to guess something. Military Assault Command Operations or Operatives or something? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just going to throw it out there and guess military self-command operations. Is that it? Yes, that's it. <laughs> but it's really kind of lame o goofy thing, really. They just make it work for Mako because it's you say it. It sounds like something we'd we'd hear about today, you know, like the the space command or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or, or what about the the Jedi that just got awarded to Microsoft? They just <laughs> just so they <laughs> weird thing. Steve Abdi Indefo plays the young Kelamane that writes a letter to the Skyship. He previously played the Klingon Direk in DS9's The Way of the Warrior, who was Drex's or Drex's uh, father. Was it Drek or Drex? Eh. Uh, gosh. Jeez Louise. The Way of the Warrior. Curzon? Nope. He was Klingon. Uh, oh, right, Adam? Right, right, right. Adam? Uh, um, I don't know. Kane? Nope. Martok. Okay, okay. He played that He played Martok's kids. Martok's kid. All right, Steve. Steve takes for the day. We don't need to go to the numbers. They're bad. So very bad. Well, you know. That's what happens when you don't study, kids. <laughs> All right. So thank you for spending an hour with us. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's how people find us. Or just give us that little five-star marker. If you're on your phone right now, it's super easy. Just couple swipes with your thumb and you can give us uh, five stars that is how people find us it's the only way that people find us and it helps us a lot so thank you again for spending an hour with us and until next time take it easy bye guys see ya I passed it.